Welcome to Stories of Iceland. It has been a while, but there are indications that my schedule will become more fixed very soon. The old fish shop will soon be transformed into a studio. That will mean I can simply sit down to record without having to set up all my equipment each time. This is unlike when I first sat down to record this episode. My microphone didn't seem to reach my recorder, and after a bit I discovered that the recorder had been damaged. So I had to send it back to the repair shop. It is back now, as you can probably tell. If you want to help me pay for my new equipment, then please visit patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There you can join my legion of fans. My newest supporter is Russell Carey. I would like to thank him, Fred Sudler, Austin Yule, Jon Helgerson, Evan Williams, and all the rest, but especially Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. You can also go to storiesoficeland.com and donate via PayPal, as John LaBarba did recently. Thank you very much, John. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 21. Let's talk about elves, baby. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. Recently, the Facebook page of the British panel show QI posted the following fact. There are tiny churches in Iceland built with the hope of converting elves to Christianity. I call it a fact, but hopefully you could tell I was using air quotes to denote the ironic use of the words. The real fact is that this is just untrue, it has no connection to reality, and I really hope the QI elves will listen to this episode. I think I can guess where this comes from. In recent years I have seen photos on the internet of small model houses in Iceland with the caption that they are for the elves. Well, they are not. They are simply folk art, often idealized versions of the gabled Icelandic farms as they were in the early 20th century. My grandparents had one of those in their garden. The idea that these are for elves is simply bizarre to me. It was just a fun little garden ornament. When people claim that these little houses are meant for elves, they are displaying a fundamental lack of understanding of Icelandic folklore. The elves are a huge part of Icelandic folklore. But if you have listened to my folktale episodes, you will know one key thing about them. 
they are human-sized and look mostly human. It might be difficult to use logic on these things, but these human-sized elves would never fit in those tiny houses. People who see those houses as being homes for elves are thinking about some tiny fairies. When Icelandic elves are marketed to tourists, they are portrayed as being nice and cute. They seem to personify the modern Icelandic celebrities like Björk, Sigurós, and of Monsters and Men. The elves have also been appropriated by the Icelandic New Age movement. The so-called Elf School in Reykjavik belongs to that movement. It is almost unconnected with the actual Icelandic folklore about elves. I remember when the Norwegian comedian Richard Aywade went to a class there and concluded Tourists are also told that Icelanders truly believe in the elves, when the truth is much more complicated. The few Icelanders who actually tend to profess belief in the hidden folk, often want to reaffirm their link to the past. If you dig a little deeper, you will see that the elves are more representative of Iceland itself. They are beautiful and might treat you kindly, but at the same time they are nasty and will simply kill you if you do not show them enough respect. They are like the famous beach of Reynisfjara, which regularly claims the lives of tourists who don't heed the warnings from the natives. They are like the awesome glaciers, which can eat people and bury them in ice for a hundred years. They are a warning that magnificent beauty can be treacherous. We can also see the dark side of the elves in other ways. The famous changelings where elves stole away human children and replaced them with their own, were a way for poor parents in a cruel land to disavow or abandon disabled or sickly children. Even in the famous incidents where road construction has been delayed or changed because of the supposed involvement of elves, we can see the two main aspects of them. First, they are cruel, since they are not above harming humans to get their way. Second, the elves are a kind of embodiment of nature which is trying to fight back. One famous Icelandic folklorist theorized that belief in elves was weaponized by nature lovers who got the roads moved by evoking the wrath of the hidden folk. My suspicious mind has also been drawn to the possibility of farmers secretly damaging construction machines in hopes of getting roads moved outside their farmland. It should be remembered that there are also examples of failed attempts to stop roadwork that was supposed to disturb the elves. I don't really like it when people try to use elves as a motive for conserving nature. I think nature is, to use a crude term, valuable on its own. To paraphrase Douglas Adams' writings from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, isn't it enough that nature is beautiful without believing that there are elves there too? 
Using the threat of elves to conserve nature tells us that there were people who actually accepted both that elves were real and also that they were as dangerous as the stories say. Another British author, Terry Pratchett, was well-versed in folklore, and his observations can be applied to Icelandic elves. Elves are wonderful. They provoke wonder. Elves are marvelous. They cause marvels. Elves are fantastic. They create fantasies. Elves are glamorous. They project glamour. Elves are enchanting. They weave enchantment. Elves are terrific. They beget terror. The thing about words is that meanings can twist just like a snake. And if you want to find snakes, look for them behind words that have changed their meaning. No one ever said elves are nice. Elves are bad. I have heard very little on actual belief in elves in my family, but I do remember stories about my grandfather's siblings, the one from Troublemaker Valley, playing with elves as children. It was eye-opening, not because I took it for actual belief in elves, but rather because it made me understand that in that time and place, imaginary friends were called elves. There have been opinion polls in Iceland that seem to say that some Icelanders actually believe in elves. I remember one of those opinion polls because it was done when I was studying folklore at the University of Iceland. I became involved in handing out these surveys when they failed to get a big enough response by a telephone poll. Why didn't people want to take part? in this poll when they got phone calls. Well, my experience in handing them out might give us a clue what I had to do, which is also an indication of how well we can trust the results, was ask random people to fill out the forms. I remember an answer I got from a few different people very well. When they found out that we were asking about belief in elves and other supernatural phenomena, they said, Oh, I am not interested in that kind of thing. So I tend to think that the response was skewed in favor of those people who are interested in elves. When the results were published, I was quite unhappy with how they were presented. Maybe it was because... Unlike most folklorists in Iceland at the time, I had studied statistics at the university. I had voiced my concern beforehand about the option presented in the poll and how the questions were phrased, but those went unheeded. Instead, some of those responsible for the survey interpreted the results in ways that were not supported by the data and did not address the ambiguity in the options, but rather interpreted them in a very unusual way. But the results of this flawed interpretation was reported and exaggerated in both Icelandic and international media, 
and finally by the marketing forces of the Icelandic tourism industry. Marketing has only a casual relationship with facts. Iceland is in no way special in this regard. Just ask any Irish folklorist about how the leprechaun of popular culture corresponds to the original folklore. Whatever people might say, belief in elves has, at least in recent times, always been considered odd. I don't believe in elves, but I do think that the stories about elves tell us something about the past, about the people and the relationship with the land. A final note on the original quote about churches for elves. I have to stress that the elves have always been considered as being opposed to the Christian God. Maybe this goes back to the time of Christianization, when elves were considered heathen. Maybe not. But to illustrate this point, I will tell you two stories about the origin of the elves, according to Icelandic folklore. The Genesis of the Hidden Folk Once upon a time, God Almighty came to visit Adam and Eve. They received him with joy and showed him everything they had in the house. They also brought the children to show him, and these he found promising and full of hope. Then he asked Eve whether she had no other children than these whom she now showed him. She said, None. But it so happened that she had not finished washing them all, and being ashamed to let God see them dirty, had hidden the unwashed ones. This God knew very well, and said therefore to her, What man hides from God, God will hide from man. These unwashed children became forthwith invisible, and took up their abodes in mounds and hills and rocks. From these are the elves descended. But we men, from those of Eve's children whom she had openly and frankly shown to God. And it is only by the will and desire of the elves themselves that men can ever see them. Another tale of the origin of elves also reveals them to be closely linked to the Christian God. A traveller once lost his way and knew not whither to turn or what to do. At last, after wandering about some time, he came to a hut which he had never seen before, and on his knocking at the door, an old woman opened it and invited him to come in, which he gladly did. Inside, the house seemed to be a clean and good one. The old woman led him to the warmest room, where were sitting two young and beautiful girls. Beside these were none else in the house. He was well received and kindly treated, and, having eaten a good supper, was shown to bed. He asked whether one of the girls might stay with him as his companion for the night, and his request was granted. And now wishing to kiss her, the traveller turned towards her and placed his hand upon her, but his hand sank through her if she had been a mist, and though he could well see her lying beside him, he could grasp nothing but the air. 
So he asked what all this meant, and she said, Be not astonished, for I am a spirit. When the devil, in times gone by, made war in heaven, he, with all his armies, was driven into outer darkness. Those who turned their eyes to look after him as he fell were also driven out of heaven. But those who were neither for nor against him were sent to the earth and commanded to dwell there in the rocks and the mountains. These are called elves and hinfolk. They can live in company with none but their own race. They do either good or evil, which they will, but what they do, they do thoroughly. They have no bodies as you other mortals, but can take a human form and be seen of men when they wish. I am one of these fallen spirits, and so you can never hope to embrace me. To this fate the traveller yielded himself, and has handed down to us this story. That is all for today. Remember to visit patreon.com slash stories of Iceland to help the podcast. Another big thanks to Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. I am Ole Gnistisoliason, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 21. Let's talk about elves, baby.